This week, Victorians were overjoyed to reach zero COVID cases and zero deaths in what has affectionately been dubbed Donut Day. It's been a hard-won road with the dramatic shutdown of the entire state for 112 days. Hospitality, retail and the arts have been hard hit, not to mention the tragic deaths and illnesses due to the virus itself. But in reaching zero, Victoria has achieved a world first. No other place in the world has tamed a second wave this large. I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications at Grattan, and with me today is Tom Crowley, Associate and co-author of a widely read article on Victoria's response to COVID-19, published this week in The Conversation and also available for free on our website. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Kat. So the big question is, did you have a donut this week? (laughs) Uh, I didn't actually have a donut. I'm not much of a donut person, I have to confess, but I have been back to the pub. Uh, I was there last night for dinner um, and it was, a, it was a slightly surreal experience, really. It's been, it's been many, many days um, since I had a, a palmer and a pint. Um, it was good to be back, but I think it'll take, take a bit of getting used to um, as we move out of lockdown. Yes, it's a strange feeling to be back in cafes and I have to say that I did have a donut this week and it was delicious. So I want to talk a little bit about um, your piece that came out in the conversation this week, but before we discuss how the Victorian response to the second wave compares to other countries, I think you've made the excellent point that this isn't a competition. That's right. Yes, it, it's definitely not a competition. Uh, I, I think. I mean, I think for one thing uh, it's not, a level playing field, and, and that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, uh, whenever you try and compare countries, you've got to be aware of the different geography and, and different demographics. Um, but this time, you know, that different countries have also had very different experiences of the virus. Um, the, the nature of the challenge uh, that different countries were faced this year has varied a lot, and their responses to that challenge have varied even more. Um, there are just so many different paths that have been taken uh, around the world. Uh, you know, for example, of course, we've tried here to to crush the virus, if you like, uh, to drive it down towards zero. You could argue that that's only possible for us uh, because we can control our borders, which is a luxury that others don't have. You know, it's not as if every country is trying to get their numbers down to zero and, and you can treat it like a simple scorekeeping exercise. It's a bit like um, a bit like Daniel Andrews says, actually, you can't just look at the numbers. You've got to understand the narratives behind the numbers. And and so I, I think um, the, the comparisons that you make need to be a little bit more nuanced. And, and of course, there are there are no medals to be handed out here, um, and there's definitely, I think, uh, nothing to be gained from from seeking to gloat uh, or, or to become complacent. Of course, we in Victoria know better than anyone uh, just how quickly things can change with this virus. We, we may have had our donut days this week, and we might even be the envy of the world this week. But uh, you know, we don't know what things will look like in a month or a few months. Um, so, so I think that the point of of comparison, I, I think comparison is still important. But I think you know, it's not about bragging rights. It's really about evaluating a policy. Um, so, you know, we've endured this long lockdown. We did it for a reason. We did it to drive our case numbers down and that worked. Uh, and now as we emerge from that lockdown, we're at the point where we're asking, well, was that the right approach? And when we evaluate that, that policy approach, it is helpful to, to look abroad for countries that were in a similar spot to us and that are comparable to us and ask, well, where did they end up? Uh, and I think when you, when you frame the question that way, the answer is pretty clear that, that no one who faced a challenge like us is, is in a better spot than us now. 
Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there that, you know, this certainly isn't something we want to compete on. We'd love to see everyone down to zero um, and we'd love to see this virus eliminated, um, but that's not possible for a lot of countries, um, whether that's due to policy decisions or whether that's due to the geography itself. So you do mention, though, that or you do refer to what was happening in the middle of the year, and we were certainly in a more desperate and dire place, um, you know, coming into June, July of 2020. Can you set the scene for us? Remind us what that was like. Uh, yes, just in case any Victorians are looking for, for a trip down memory lane. Uh, it, it did, of course, get pretty grim f- for us uh, for a time there. So, so if we go all the way back to March, um, you know, when the whole thing um, really started, the, the whole world, I, I suppose, was originally kind of fighting the same battle, right? We were all trying to crush our first wave. Uh, we had lockdowns sort of all over the world, social distancing. There was this conversation about flattening curves. A very, very small number of countries at about that time actually did manage to pretty much snuff the virus out. So if you look at places like China, uh, New Zealand, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, and of course, the rest of Australia, um, they might have had little ripples here and there, you know, still occasional cases in, for example, New South Wales, um, but more or less, you know, they, they kind of crushed it and it has so far stayed crushed. So so if there were medals, which of course there aren't, but if there were, you know, those places would get the gold. And I think that's important to point out, you know, some of the responses um, to, to the article that Stephen and I wrote this week sort of said, oh, but, you know, Victoria never should have had a second wave. Um, and, of course, that that's right. Nobody would, would disagree with that. Um, and so it's important to acknowledge that that some countries succeeded at that first uh, hurdle and we were very, very close to joining them um, back in, in May or June. But uh, as we know with this virus, near enough isn't good enough um, and things got out of hand again here. And so by July and August, uh, we reached our peak, which was about 700 cases a day. At that point, we were back in lockdown and I think it's fair to say pretty devastated. And at that point, um, so to speak, we did kind of drop off drop off the winners list and we joined um, a very, very large number of countries all around the world that were facing uh, a second wave of the virus that was even bigger than the first one. And so that's where we found ourselves when things were getting really bad. Yeah, that's right. And I think you note in this piece that we were in a similar situation to many other countries um, and they were kind of facing similar numbers and exponential growth around the same time. But what's really interesting is how much the outcomes have differed. Yeah, um, and and I think that, that that's where the really interesting comparison can be made. So, so as you say, we, we had plenty of friends uh, at that point. Um, so if you freeze at that point in time in August, uh, you had... Most European countries had numbers that were sort of similar to us. Um, and in Canada, Japan, Singapore, a few other places were also around that that kind of 500 cases a day mark, give or take, uh, at a similar point in time. And, and so we were all sort of on the precipice together. We, we know our story. We didn't go over the edge. We, we ran the case numbers back in from there. Um, but a lot of countries really, really quite dramatically did, did go over the edge. Um, and that's especially the case in Europe. Um, so again, and, and the kind of trajectory of France and the UK and countries like that has been very different to us at times. But, you know, it is worth saying two months ago, uh, you know, that the virus kind of only, only cares where you are at a point in time. And at that point in time, you look at France, you look at the UK, Italy, Germany, they are recording the same numbers as us, uh, even with slightly bigger populations. So they really are at that point in time in the same position of Victoria and have the same sort of choice set facing them, if you like, um, broadly speaking, to Victoria. Uh, those countries are now up in the tens of thousands of cases a day. Uh, a lot of them are heading back into lockdown 
the situation there is really pretty grim and it's certainly as bad as it has ever been in those countries. So you think, you know, Italy and the UK at the very beginning of the crisis were, were some of the, the first countries where it got really, really bad, but it's much, much, much worse than that for, for those countries now. Um, it's also fairly bad in, in Canada. They're kind of at the, the two to 3,000 cases a day mark, uh, so they're also not looking great. So, so there are certainly a lot of countries unlike us that, that went off um, really off a cliff, so to speak, with their case numbers. There are a few who joined us uh, with relatively stable numbers, but they were relatively few. Yeah, and it's a little terrifying to see the numbers that are coming out of the UK and some of those European countries at the moment to think that they were at a similar location um, in terms of numbers when we shut down and the huge difference that lockdown has made to, um, I think, the survival of many people and the health of many people despite the difficulties in, in that particular decision, especially around the economic difficulties as well. So you've identified that even among countries that appear to have stable COVID numbers, and there's a few of them, there's actually quite a significant difference in COVID cases and kind of where they're going. Can you take us through that? Yep. So, so, so as I mentioned, and, and as you said there, there was there was a small collection of, of countries um, that, that didn't immediately skyrocket from from that oh I'm mixing metaphors here skyrocket from the precipice doesn't make much sense but you know where things didn't deteriorate significantly from from that point in time um so so that club if you like includes Japan uh it includes South Korea Singapore uh and Sweden Norway and, and Denmark they're probably the main ones um so all of these places have maintained lowish cases or moderate cases. But again, you know, as we keep coming back to with this virus, near enough isn't necessarily good enough. So so there is a lot of divergence between those countries. Um, Sweden looks like it is set to, to explode now in a similar way to what has happened elsewhere in Europe. So that they've kept their numbers uh, essentially kind of in, in triple figures, um, but it looks like they may not maintain that for, for much longer. Uh, Denmark, Japan and Norway, the, the story is slightly better. Um, but they're still sort of in, in the moderate kind of um, double digits and triple digits of, of case numbers and, and the virus well and truly hasn't kind of gone away in those countries. Uh, the only places uh, where the virus has, has gotten all the way back down to, to single digits and even to, to days with zero cases, uh, the only two places are Singapore and Victoria. And so Singapore achieved that slightly quicker than Victoria but also from a slightly uh, lower um, launching point. So they reached about 300, 400 cases a day at worst, at worst and, and they managed to pull that back. Um, and so Singapore and Victoria are really the only countries who faced a, a second wave of that kind of magnitude, of that 500 to 700 case magnitude, uh, the only countries in it, or the only places uh, at that really serious point who have managed to, to pull it right back. And so that, I guess, is the nature of the, the quite rare thing that we've achieved with, with our lengthy lockdown. Yes, and it's really interesting too to see that uh, chart in this particular piece and looking at Sweden um, and the increase in COVID cases there because uh, the Swedish model has often been held up um, by a number of people as as the model to follow. But I think uh, we're seeing a different response to that now. And I want to ask you a little bit about that, but also too in terms of um, the other countries you've mentioned as well, what's been the difference in response from Victoria and perhaps Singapore to other countries? Yeah, so I might focus um, in particular on uh, Victoria. And, of course, uh, we know uh, what the response was here. Having lived through it, it was a lengthy lockdown and a more stringent lockdown uh, than 
anything that Australia had experienced uh, up to that point. So, of course, we had curfews in Victoria, second lockdown. We had retail shut. There were, uh, It was a five-kilometre movement restriction. Uh, it was quite a stringent lockdown. Um, and the explicit purpose of that policy was to drive the cases right back down essentially towards zero. Um, and so that was, that was the choice that we made and, and it was kind of... Um, you know, I think fairly clearly articulated. Um, other countries held out. Um, you know, and I, I think certainly a lot of those countries where, where things accelerated, um, they quite clearly didn't rush back into lockdown in the same way that we did. Uh, although they are in many cases rushing back to lockdown now, uh, we made that decision. At, you know, as the case numbers reached triple digits, that we wanted to try and avoid a, a really, really bad scenario, and that the lockdown, um, you know, was the approach that we we took for that. Yeah, and I think in a lot of other countries there was a, a huge variety of what a look, lockdown looks like. Um, but for us, it was one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. So schools weren't open, you know, the retail wasn't open. I remember talking to my dad, and he's like, "Oh, uh, what is actually open?" And I'm like, "Just the supermarkets and the pharmacies, Dad. Um, you might be getting your Christmas present from there." But I think that that tough, um, tough lockdown has really worked, and we can just see that uh, this week. So some people have argued that we should have opened up earlier in order to stimulate the economy, and I think that follows on from that point about retail not being open. What do you have to say about that? I think that the first thing that that needs to be said really clearly is that the, the evidence is very, very clear that the economic situation when the virus is widespread is much, much, much worse than the economic cost of lockdowns. Um, so yes, you know there was of course a significant economic cost in Victoria uh, to this lockdown. As you mentioned, you know a lot of um, businesses were, were closed entirely uh, for for a large period. Um, it, you know it's, it's quite clear. I think at, at its worst point uh, in the second lockdown, uh, Victoria's employment was about eight percent below where it was back in March. That's about the same as the first wave, but we went through it all over again and, and for an even longer period of time. Um, so there's certainly economic pain associated with that. Um, but the uncertainty, the ongoing uncertainty of widespread virus and, and, and the economic uncertainty that we would have been faced with if we hadn't taken this approach, I think is pretty clearly a lot worse um, than what we went through and certainly a lot worse than the position we find ourselves in now where, of course, that there's no such thing as certainty with this virus, but we are able to get now uh, probably the closest thing to certainty that you can have anywhere in the world at the moment with this virus. And we have a chance now to return to the closest thing resembling normal economic life and, and normal social lives, even um, over summer here in Australia than is the case anywhere else in the world. And, um, you know, uh, another thing that the evidence says is that uh, even when there are not lockdowns, when the virus is widespread, people people are afraid. They choose to stay home themselves. In general, the kind of confidence of consumers and businesses is low, and there are all sorts of of economic costs and, and hardships. So I think even in places like if you looked at somewhere like New York or perhaps London before it went back into into some sort of a lockdown, uh, I think if you asked anyone there, they they wouldn't say that life is is back to normal and that they're living kind of you know carefree. While we were in lockdown, clearly the uncertainty that remained in those places um, has its own economic costs. So I think that that's a really important thing to point out. You know, I think sometimes people speak as if there is this trade-off that a lockdown is a trade-off where you're sacrificing the economy um, for for health purposes. Um, it shouldn't be viewed as a trade-off in that way. The economic costs um, are much much worse 
uh, if you do nothing, just like the health costs. But, you know, there, there is a discussion that you can have uh, as we started to get towards low numbers. There's a discussion you can have about, well, could such a thing have opened a week earlier or a week later? Could 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 retail have opened in an earlier step? You know, there's there's a reasonable debate to be had there. And I think it's, you know, it's worth under, worth kind of being clear that that essentially what that debate is, is a debate about risk appetite, if you like. As we get down towards, you know, 20, 15, 10, 5 cases, um, the question was, you know, the sooner we open up, the, the, the bigger the risk that things might get out of hand again. So the longer we wait, the, obviously, the smaller that risk becomes. And, and, and you know, that there's room for reasonable disagreement when you get down to those low numbers uh, about, you know, kind of when when you should kind of hop off the bus, if you like. Um, our view and, and, and the view certainly, um, you know, Stephen, uh, and Will Mackey in their report go for zero. The, the, the view that, that Grattan has argued is that um, you know the uncertainty of even a small number of cases is is not worth it, and that you should really really aim for zero. And so, in that sense, um, you know, um, we've been of the view, and I'm I'm of the view that the, the fairly conservative approach that we've taken to really kind of wait that little bit longer and get those case numbers a little bit lower is a sensible approach. Um, but you know, there is a debate to be had there. Yes, and of course, it's no surprise that I would also agree with you all. Um, but I think you make a very good point about risk appetite, and it's certainly been clear uh, that the state government has a very low ap- appetite for risk this second time round. Um, so I personally am glad that we've waited and we've got down to that zero number. Um, it feel it feels a lot safer, and I think I think it feels like a better option. But now is not the time for complacency. I think that's another important thing that we don't want to just uh, relax everything right now and then have a third wave what should we be looking for as we open back up uh well i suppose you know we, we know pretty well now um the, the way that you keep on top of this virus is with good contact tracing and and you know with people continuing to to come forward and, and get tested um and that will be the important challenge for us now um you know you mentioned that we have had these days of zero but you know, we, we don't have completely zero cases left. There are still, I think, 70-something cases. Uh, and, you know, on, on the day that we're recording this, uh, Victoria recorded three new cases. So so we're certainly not completely out of the woods yet. Um, you know, we'll need to, to kind of hope that the, the contact tracing efforts of the Victorian government can get on, on top of any cases that, that do come in the next few weeks and, and the testing numbers will, will continue to be, you know, high enough to get a good picture of the spread of the virus and 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 that everyone can kind of do the right thing, so to speak. All of the things that we're, we're used to hearing daily in these press conferences will, will be really important as, as we open back up. And, and I think, um, you know, if anyone understands that single digits can quickly turn into double digits and quickly turn into triple digits, it's, it's Victorians. So, you know, I don't, I don't get a sense that we will be complacent as we open back up, but, but certainly... Uh, as we know, things can turn quickly. So we've got to hope that we can finish off the job. Thank you so much, Tom. And I hope that we can definitely finish off this job. I'd like to recommend that if you're interested in the piece that Tom's been talking about today, you can read it for free online on our website. It's a really great piece um, with some excellent charts in it. So it's been a very good week for Victoria and a good week for Australia. And I've got to say, I've never been more proud to be a Victorian than when we hit that double zero. So to all our Victorian listeners, well done. Only you know how hard this road has been. And to all our listeners across Australia and internationally, please take care and thanks for listening. 